today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's uh, another day in court for the city of Toronto. Uh, the city of Toronto versus the province of Ontario. The uh, top court in the province is actually going to go through all the legalities of last year's intervention by Premier Doug Ford in the municipal election in Toronto, where he, remember, just arbitrarily said, council's too big, and it's going to be this size. Uh, and they got to stay at one point, but uh, obviously they're going to get back in here. Uh, what are the chances? And, and you know, what was it legal? Was it illegal? Hopefully the court's going to add some clarity to this. Joining us to talk about uh, what might happen is Christo Avalos, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council postdoctoral fellow in history at uh, the University of Toronto. Christo, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me. I, I, I'm surprised. I think a lot of people are saying, are they still fighting about this? I think they thought it was resolved. But obviously this is, a, this is something that's very, very contentious for the city of Toronto. Uh, and the government, uh, the province, uh, seems to be standing their ground with their position. Yeah, no, certainly. I think a lot of people were confused because the basic timeline was, you know, the Ford government announced this shortly after, after you know, taking power. Obviously, they have a majority. Um, they, they passed the, the, the law. It was challenged in court. Uh, the, the challenge was successful. The, the city was successful in that challenge. But, um, you know, this, they, it was appealed. And what happened was there was a stay and so what happened is that Doug Ford and his government was, were allowed to implement their new law pending a legal case. So they were essentially given the ability to do it this time, although the courts could override them, meaning that, say, in 2022, we would go back to the old model, or at the very least, the city would have to be consulted or what have you on any changes. But then again, Doug Ford has also indicated his willingness to use the notwithstanding clause. He didn't have to do so this time because the courts at least temporary cite, temporarily cited in his favor. So that's where we're at. In a sense, the court decision was pushed beyond the election, so now the legal case really starts in earnest. Who's the onus on here? Is it on the province to prove what they did was legal and justifiable, or, or does the city have to actually, uh, well, I, I guess, you know, innocent until proven guilty, I get that, it, it, when it comes to criminal trials, but in this situation here, I, I, I'm not sure who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Uh, the, the city is certainly the aggrieved party here. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I think, I think in a sense, it's the, the city is probably, and regardless of the, the legality of it, I think the politics of it is that the city is probably on the hook for challenging this perception because the, the legislation as written I, generally suggests that, you know, municipalities have very little rights in relation to provinces, that provinces have very strong abilities to override uh, municipal laws override municipal governance and, and, and for a variety of reasons, and this is one of them. And so on that basic term, the government probably did something that it was allowed to do. But the city will have to make a case that, you know, this was unfair or it violated democratic norms. And if they can make that argument, you might be able to find success within other segments of the charter, saying that this was a, you know, a, an attack on local democracy is different than saying, you know, the government did something the city didn't like. Because in the latter case, the city really has no leg to stand on. But if democracy is being infringed upon, a court may consider that. But you raise a very germane point here, and that's the Municipal Act. Uh, and in general terms, I guess, uh, just about every community, Hamilton, Toronto, uh, Niagara Falls, whatever you want to mention, uh, exists at the behest of the province. I mean, they're the ones that grant the charter for the city of Hamilton over the city of Toronto. Uh, and and that seems to be the trump card here, isn't it? That the you know they can do whatever they want when they want. They could withdraw the charter, and they they could say the city of Hamilton doesn't exist anymore if they so desired. 
Uh, and I don't know that there's a whole lot to do about it. Is that is that the principle that's being challenged here? I don't know if that principle is being challenged, because even though I think a lot of cities would like that principle to be challenged, I think that principle is very clear. The question here isn't so much, you know, does the province have the right to do things as it did? Because it does, but it's a question of, did it do so in a manner that was an affront uh, to democracy or that wasn't in line with the principles of the Charter and Rights and Freedoms in the country. And, if again, that's the re- only the really leg they have to stand on. Because even things like that, that matter politically, that, that maybe don't matter constitutionally or legally, but matter politically, like the fact that this was done so quickly, and like the fact Doug Ford didn't have a mandate to do it, and like the fact that it's Toronto, but it's only Toronto. It's not even, you know, ha- like Hamilton and Ottawa and other large cities are excluded. Small towns are obviously excluded. So the question is, like, why Toronto? And so all of those things matter politically, but here I think they can only really find success in, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to make this about, you know, the perversion of democratic norms. That's the only way. You know, the, re- the articles you read about it from legal experts have basically said that the, 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 the ball is in the, the province's court because the Municipal Act really does give them a lot of the, 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 the powers as a, as a, a given. But in their opening statements, both sides obviously are going to have to, you know, here's here's why we're here, here's why we did what we did. Uh, the province's argument, in part, it's a one-line quote here, uh, Crystal, I'm sure you've seen it already, but for the, our listeners, says the act, meaning what they did here, is a meaningful proportionate measure to address the dysfunction caused by having too many councillors ungoverned by party discipline. A smaller council can operate more effectively as a deliberative body with a lower burden by a lower burden of city staff. Is the onus on the province because they've said that to prove dysfunction? I mean, that will be one of the tactics of the of the of the city. And if the city can make the case that it's not actually about dysfunction, then maybe that could bolster their fact to say it's actually not about dysfunction. This was an effort to interfere with democratic norms and principles. That could be their line. I think in a general sense, again, this goes to the fact that, you know, maybe the province shouldn't even given a reason. It gives their opponent something to attack. But I guess, the, you know, that argument can be used. Now, I don't know if it's a fair argument. I don't know the data. I don't know if the government's done enough of an analysis to say that Toronto City Council was dysfunctional, yet every town and, and you know, regional and, and rural council is, is functional. I don't know if they've done that study. They were a very new government. I don't know if they've had time to do that analysis. But that is their argument. Uh, that argument being challenged, though, could make it, like, again, uh, you can see the city saying, well, throughout this case, we've proven it's not about dysfunction. So what is it about? It's about the perversion of democratic norms uh, in our province, in our city. And that's why we're challenging it. Are they going to have to keep it on that level, though? In other words, talking about, well, obviously, elements of, of the municipal law. Uh, because you know one of the other arguments against this, and I don't know whether it's going to hold any water in court, is, is this was just revenge. Uh, you know, this does, this is Doug Ford that doesn't like Toronto Council, didn't like the way that they treated him, didn't like the way they treated his brother, and this was payback. Uh, and, and there may well be some element of truth to that, but can you argue that in, in a legal situation, a legal a forum like this? I mean, I don't know if that's going to carry a lot of water. Yeah. I think that, you know, on the, on the one hand, you know, Doug Ford is premier, and, and in a, a premier and a majority government is a very powerful person. But, you know, this is a, you know, this is a decision made, in a sense, by the province and by, uh, you know, the, 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 the province of Ontario, who happens to be led by a government headed up by Doug Ford. It's not strictly about that in a legal sense. And I think that, you know, that subtext of the conversation from the city side may come into play, but I think that's more of a political question. 
And I think that's why on this issue, Ted Ford may well carry the day legally, constitutionally, where the courts ultimately say that, say, look, you know, you can think the way this was done was unfair or a little bit um, sketchy, but at the end of the day, it, it fits the constitutional parameters that are laid out. But politically, Doug Ford can be held to account. And if there is a sense, especially from t- Torontonians or from other municipalities that maybe fear this being done to them, um, they can hold him accountable at the ballot box. Which is the best option. And, and that's one of the subplots of this whole thing, isn't it, Christo? Because uh, Ford has already announced that uh, he's putting just about every other, well, a number of different municipalities on notice that there will be a review of governance in, in some of these communities. And I know I've talked to the mayor of Burlington, for instance, and, and mayors in, in other parts, including Hamilton, for that matter, and, and they're a little concerned about what might come next. Uh, so th- there's a lot weighing on this decision, isn't there? To a certain degree, there is. On the, on the one hand, yeah, if Ford gets a victory here and, and, and you know, said that what he did was, was legal, again, regardless of what people think about it morally or politically, then that will give him, you know, a sort of precedent to do it again. But on the other hand... By him actually doing the process of holding a review and consulting things and doing things like that, that might actually make it so that it's legal anyway. And the problem with Toronto is he didn't do any of that. So he's announced that, okay, maybe I'm going to review Hamilton and Burlington and Brampton and Kingston and other, you know, uh, some of Ontario's larger cities. Uh, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to have consultations, and we're going to talk to citizens and experts and elected officials and staff and build a report about the local governance. And then the city can disagree, but that's much more of a process of due diligence and consultation. And I think that would be a lot harder to challenge, both legally and politically, than what was done in Toronto. And, and again, as you mentioned, uh, the, you know, the, the wild card here is that uh, if he gets an unfavorable decision, uh, he may well just invoke the notwithstanding clause and, and simply say, I'm going to do this anyway. And, and all of a sudden, then you've got a constitutional crisis. I mean, that brings the federal government in play here, and a lot of people are, are going to start jumping on this. And uh, so, I mean, he's he's really stirred a hornet's nest up here. Yeah, no, certainly. I think he's already kind of played his notwithstanding clause card, and now it would be almost tricky for him to not use it here because it's not as if, you know, he in his mind thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, play this card if I have no other option at the 11th hour, and he said he was going to do it, and then, you know, the court sided in his favor and gave him his stay. He should have kept quiet about that usage, because it would give him more flexibility. Now, again, there's a situation where he loses at this court. Um, He might have to invoke the notwithstanding clause, and that could lead to a whole bunch of issues. Right, some people have called upon the federal government to use the power of dissolution, which hasn't been used in a very long time, and would also cause you know, great legal and moral and political crises. So who knows? I mean, the notwithstanding clause isn't used very frequently, but it has been used in Canada before. And whether or not people think this is the right time to use it, you know, it would be something it could be used on. Isn't this akin, though, to killing a flea with a sledgehammer, to use something like the notwithstanding clause for something like a reduction in council size? I would would think so, yes. I mean, if you think, like, Quebec has used it to... You know, look at things like, you know, protecting language laws. Again, whether people disagree with that or not, you know, the protection and promotion of, of French-Canadian Quebec law culture is of paramount importance. That is something that you could see a government using, you know, exceptional legislation for. This really does seem to be uh, a bit of an overreach. And, I mean, it's really an interesting question because, again, it, it's, it, it is to a certain degree, you know, what are, what's going to happen with that? Will there even be arguments here, depending on 
if the courts find a certain section of the charter violated, because the notwithstanding clause can be used pretty broadly, but it can't be used to erase certain rights. You can't use the notwithstanding clause to ban the right to vote, for instance. And so this is a perversion of democracy. Does the court say the notwithstanding clause doesn't apply here? I'm not a legal expert, but the reality is there's a lot of potential trouble here for Ford. And as we've seen, um, you know, Kathleen Wynne exited politics, exited leadership, very, very unpopular. And Doug Ford is already more unpopular than she is. And in part, I think it's because of decisions like this. Well, and again, could that be argued? I, I know you know you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, but here we are delving into the legalities of this whole thing because they're very much, of course, intertwined here between the politics and, and the legal aspects to this. But uh, with your you know your idea, but what I and mine as well that that the notwithstanding clause probably isn't even applicable here. It's going to be awfully hard for him to justify that. But if he invokes it, does he even have to justify it? I mean, it depends because you have to kind of make the case for how you're applying it what you're overriding, because generally what the courts, you have to make the case that, yes, we acknowledge in a sense that this, the courts have decided that, or that we recognize that this does, you know, violate an aspect of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but nonetheless we are going to use our notwithstanding clause because we feel it's in the interest of our province. And the whole reason the notwithstanding clause is in there, whether you agree with it or not, is that it was a, it was a concession to those who felt that the, at the end of the day, the legislature's, the parliament needed to be sovereign, needed to be supreme. That's like this ancient British tradition. And so you needed something like that to mean that, like, you know, the courts can ultimately give their ruling, but, you know, they, they can't, they're not the, the last voice in the land. But there are certain limitations to the notwithstanding clause. And, I mean, that's where the complications come in. So, you know, Doug Ford right now, I think, is really hoping the courts vindicate him. It won't stop the controversy, because, again, a lot of people understand that he probably was allowed to do what he did, but they're still mad because of the way he did it and the fact that, again, regardless of the Constitution and the Municipal Act and what have you, people don't like the tampering in local democracy. Well, especially in the middle of an election campaign. I mean, that's that's another element of this whole thing that just adds to the intrigue. No, yeah, certainly the timing. And again, Doug Ford didn't run. Like, Doug Ford didn't have a, a platform, really. He had platform pieces. But Doug Ford didn't run on, you know, I'm going to change city councils. I'm going to go into cities without their approval, without notice, in the middle of an election, to fundamentally reshape how they elect their officials, you know, the riding, you know, the ward boundaries and things like that. He didn't have a mandate for that. And you add into the fact it's in the middle of an election, and you add into the fact that, you know, there is this history of a personal vendetta. This also ties into the canceling of the regional chairs of the one of which was being sought by Ford's predecessor, you know, Patrick Brown, yeah. who added all of these you know, things which, which don't necessarily have to be personal, but which people can reasonably think are personal. And this is where I think the politics of this all are perhaps more intriguing than the constitutionality of, the constitutionality of it all. Because again, regardless of the decision, Doug Ford is going to continue to face political blowback for moves like this. And we'll continue to face it if he goes forward and, and does similar things in Brampton and in, in Hamilton and other communities like that. Boy, you can't make this stuff up. It's amazing. I will be following it, as I'm sure most people in other parts of the province will, too. Christo, thanks again for the time today. 
Thanks for having me. Christopher Ablis, of course, from the University of Toronto. Uh, and this is only one of the other court cases, uh, many that are involving the provincial government. I mean, we even talked about the, the, the carbon tax thing, which is also going to court right now, too. And that's, uh, that's going to be costly to the uh, people of Ontario. But anyway, I digress. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.